This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is U.S. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan to zero out global sugar subsidies at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell next. America's sugar growers are among the most efficient and sustainable in the world. But billions of dollars in foreign sugar subsidies have distorted the global market for surplus sugar, driving prices to levels barely one-half of global cost of production. Eliminating America's no-cost sugar policy without first reforming the global sugar market would jeopardize family farms, good-paying jobs, and our domestic supply of sugar. A new bill called Zero for Zero takes action to zero out all foreign sugar subsidies and level the playing field. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. Welcome back to Open Mic. I'm Jeff Nally, and we are honored to have the minority leader of the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, with us this morning. Uh, Senator, you have served in Washington for a number of years, and you have seen various political climates. Is the climate on the Hill and inside the Beltway now like any other time you've seen before? Well, I think what's really different is how left-wing the Democrats are. Uh, when I went to the Senate initially, there were moderate Democrats. Now we're down to two in the Senate and nine in the House. And we're seeing all that unplay uh, unfold here in the next couple of months with an effort to basically jam through a 50-50 Senate and a narrowly divided House, a Bernie Sanders vision of what America ought to be like, massive tax increases on businesses, individuals, even on stepped-up basis, Mm -hmm. which I think your uh, listeners certainly know means the increase in value of your farm or your business in the course of your lifetime and make it very difficult for you to get that down to the next generation who may want to continue your farming operation. All of that, they're trying to jam through in a very, very closely divided Congress. They don't have a mandate to do this. Not a single Republican in the House or Senate will vote for it. And we're down to hoping there are a couple of Democrats and a few in the House that will prevent it from happening. So I recall during the Obama administration, there was a time that the nation was on the ropes with the budget, and it was Majority Leader McConnell and Vice President Biden that in the after hours on a holiday weekend formed a compromise. How are the stakes different now with Mr. Biden in the Oval Office and the ability to govern through bipartisanship? Well, what's different is the Democrats, by and large, are way more liberal than they were when President Obama was there. Uh, President Biden has a set of Democrats in the House and Senate that basically prefer Bernie Sanders' prescriptions for America. And President Biden actually is not a moderate and isn't offended by any of that. And they're, they, they're acting like they got a mandate. Well, they didn't get a mandate. A 50-50 House, the narrowly divided uh, 50-50 Senate, the narrowly divided House, this is not a mandate to, to force socialism on America. So what's different is the National Democratic Party. It's just totally different. 
from what it was as recently as 10 years ago. You supported and there was approved the trillion-dollar infrastructure package out of the <coughs> Senate. Clearly, that's a compromise, <coughs> but it looks to be held now as a political football in lieu of a $3.5 trillion environmental and social agenda with a change in the tax code. Yeah, well, what, what the House Democrats are trying to do is to say we won't, let, we won't pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill unless you go on and approve this 3 to $5 trillion tax increase. I thought the infrastructure bill made sense. Eighty-five percent of Americans are behind it. I'm not in favor of doing nothing if we can reach an agreement, and that's why I voted for it. But it is being held hostage in the House by the Speaker until she gets enough Democrats in line to sign on to this awful tax bill. Uh, I hope the nine Democrats in the House will be resistant and won't let that happen. We have two Democrats in the Senate who also say they aren't going to let it happen. I'm pulling for them. So if I recall correctly with the numbers, with regard to support of COVID and during the crisis, we spent about $6.5 trillion. The trillion dollars for the infrastructure plan, assuming we could get that done, and then 35 to $5 trillion for another plan. Can we afford to go no. $11 trillion in no, debt? No, we can't, we can't. We can't afford to do it. It ought not to be done. What we did last year at the height of the pandemic, we did on a bipartisan basis. We had a 100-year pandemic, a health care emergency, an economic emergency. We pulled together and did it. This is different. This year we have three vaccines that work. Our biggest challenge is getting people to actually take the shots. And so um, we can see the end of the pandemic when we get enough people vaccinated. But all of this additional spending and taxing and borrowing that we've been subjected to this year is not appropriate. It's not needed. It's not necessary. So if the $11 trillion, and I'm just using that figure, if we go to that level of debt out of this particular crisis, how does that affect farm programs and other elements of government that people have depended on and do depend on? Well, we're seeing an element of it already, which is raging inflation. Over the $2 trillion that was done this year without a single Republican vote, raging inflation, predicted by Larry Summers, Bill Clinton, Secretary of the Treasury, back in February before they passed it. And joblessness, difficulty in getting people back to work because we're paying people, many of them, more to stay at home than to go back to work. So that's a result of the $2 trillion the Democrats by themselves passed earlier this year. Now, as you suggest, they want to add $3.5 trillion more of taxes and spending and borrowing on top of it. We're playing Russian roulette with the country's economy. Chairman Scott of the House Agriculture Committee is not in favor of the stepped-up basis and is very skeptical of the administration's promise that there would be a waiver as long as the business or the farm stayed in action. Can you accept the waiver? We ought not to do this at all. And what they may try to do is to, you know, have carve-outs. You know, this one gets an exemption, that one gets an exemption. We ought not to be taxing stepped-up basis, period. Period. That's current law. We ought to make it possible for people also to get their family, farm, or small business down to the next generation. I was personally responsible for getting the exemption up to $11 million per person. Right now, that's that's the law. No tax on stepped-up basis, $11 million when you pass away, exemption from the state tax. That means 
virtually every family farm and small business in Kentucky and my guess in Indiana as well would not have to be sold to get down to the next generation. That's what they're messing with. That's what they call a loophole. Where your lifetime savings is not a loophole and shouldn't be taxed at death. What was Senator Thune's amendment that was offered about changing the tax code that was approved in the chamber by 99 to nothing? Yeah, but that that was a what I call a show vote, an easy way to act like you really weren't in favor of taxing stepped-up basis. What comes later is the real bill. The budget part is just an enabler. It just opens the door for subsequent legislation <clears throat> that's real. That's when it really counts. And so we'll see uh, whether they really will. I mean, we've got a, a few Democrats who are kicking up their heels. There are a couple of them left that aren't socialists. I pray for them every night. Is there any element of the $3.5 trillion that you see would be good for the country that should be a part is there some place that's been left out of a stimulus that would help to, to, to further the economy? No. No. We're, all, we're already awash in money. As a result of the American Rescue Package that passed earlier this year with Democrats only, <clears throat> there is more money coming into Kentucky and other states than people know what to do with. Enough is enough. We should not be passing a 3 to $5 trillion tax increase. I have heard it said by some in the House and other members working with the legislature that there's an underlying theme to rebalance wealth in the country. Do you see that? We don't tax wealth in this country. We tax income. You know, the quickest way to ruin a country is to go to wealth taxes. And that's never been what we did in this country. I do think this big tax package goes in that direction. And I think Americans are comfortable with taxing income, but taxing wealth means you're going to go for confiscatory policies uh, to literally, by government edict, uh, take the money out of one hand and put it into another. I think a terrible idea. Isn't that not a swipe with the stepped-up basis? Oh, of, yeah. Of that, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a form of wealth tax, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> it's to level the playing field. You take away from A in order to give to B. What we ought to have is a tax policy that encourages everybody to rise, and that's what the 2017 tax bill was. We lowered taxes on corporations, on individuals, on estates, to give everybody an opportunity to rise. And in February of 2020, we had the best economy in 50 years as a result of the 2017 tax bill. Everybody was doing better. Unemployment among African Americans, Hispanic Americans, all Americans was at an all-time low. That's what they want to ruin. That's what the economy looked like the month before the pandemic hit. As minority leader, I feel like we should visit this area for a moment. What is your uh, description of the situation in Afghanistan? How did we get here? And what should be done now? What shouldn't have been done was a total withdrawal. If you ask the American people if they think we've been there too long, I think they'd answer yes. They'd probably say that about the fact that we're still in Germany and Japan and South Korea. But that's not the real question. Why did we go there in the first place? It was to prevent the barbarians, the Taliban, from being the government and to make it impossible for the al-Qaeda terrorists who were stationed there to hit us again here. 
the idea was to keep the pressure on over there so we don't have to deal with it here. When you were confronted with the reality of that, it worked. It worked. We only had 2,500 troops left in the country. We didn't lose a single person in combat in a year and a half. And if you look at it from a financial, 1% of the defense budget to keep the lid on, to keep the barbarians out of power, and al-Qaeda unable to operate. Quite a smart investment. President Obama wanted to leave. I helped, I think, successfully talking him out of it, along with the military brass. President Trump wanted to leave. I didn't have as much success talking him out of it, and I think he was going to do it, actually, if he got reelected. And President Biden said during the campaign he was in favor of getting out. Well, if you're going to get out, at least have a plan to do it. These people couldn't organize a two-car funeral, and we're seeing the challenges fully unfold in front of us. He's got got more personnel in there now than we had before he announced we were going to withdraw just to try to get us out. So here's what needs to be the case. Every single American needs to get out of Afghanistan who wants to leave, and our Afghan interpreters and allies whose lives are in danger need to be rescued to start a new life somewhere in the world. Some of them will come here, some of them will go to Europe, other places. We owe them an opportunity to, to start a new life in a civilized place. There are a number of individuals who have worked with development and agriculture development in that country. Are there enough people on the ground to get those out safely, or is that even in question? Well, there now? need to be. I mean, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And the president ought to quit saying we're going to be gone by August 31st. He's not going to get all these people out by August 31st. So... We have a we have an obligation, a moral responsibility, to get everybody out safely. But the decision to leave was an embarrassment. What message does this send to our allies and to the rest of the well, world? Well, we're being criticized openly by the leadership in Germany, in France, in England, because they were there with us. We weren't there all by ourselves. They were there with us. Um, if you're a terrorist, you'd probably be cheering the uh, Taliban flag being hoisted over the palace in in Kabul. The terrorists in Syria, in Yemen, in Africa, they saw the Taliban take America to its knees. An utter disgrace. You had an opportunity this past week to spend time with some of your constituents in your home state. And one of the questions from farmers was about climate. Uh, Ms. Stabenow, the chair of the Senate Ag Committee, has the Growing Climate Solutions Act that's been approved. The question is, how much government should be involved in this process where producers are compensated for climate-smart agriculture? Is it research and verification, or does it go all the way to using CCC funds and a carbon bank? Look, I think in general, the best way to look at the climate issue is it is it is a problem. No one's denying that. <clears throat> How is it best dealt with? Technology is the key to, to the climate issue. And in spite of all the people that signed on to the Paris Accords, the country doing the best is our country. The, the Chinese and the Indians are not going to have suppressive government policies. 
this is all one globe. If it's a global problem, it's only going to be solved with widespread uh, participation. But we're doing better than the other countries in the Paris Accords mm -hmm. without all the government mandates. So I'm not denying it's a problem. I'm just saying technology and awareness and beginning to move in that direction is the way to do it, not put clamps on the economy. Mr. Biden seems to have an attitude of more electric vehicles. My question comes back to your state of Kentucky and coal, and there are other states that have been uh, a casualty in the war on coal. Is the electric grid ready for a volume of demand from a, another fleet of vehicles powered by electricity? I don't think so. And basically, they're going to be subsidizing the kind of vehicles that will only be bought in large measure by people making $400,000 a year, which is what the president says he doesn't want to happen. How about the hemp industry? You've worked long and hard on this, and there's yeah. been success, but there's also been challenges. I'd be remiss if we didn't have the opportunity to talk about that before. Yeah, it, it's not been what we had hoped. I mean, I think it's off to a really rough start. And I think until we get some serious guidance out of uh, FDA about CBD, uh, this market is probably going to continue to be flat. Some of the uh, people in this business who are using the stalks, the stalks as opposed to the seeds, which end up in hard things like your car dashboard, they're, they're doing okay, kind of limping along. But I think so far we'd have to say it hadn't been what we had hoped, but it's there, and maybe it'll settle down and be an opportunity in the future. One more bigger picture question, and, and then we'll wrap for the day. A lot of consternation after this past election about voter rights and voter laws. Senator, does anything need to be repaired in this country before we move to a midterm election and another election for the White House? No. There, nobody in the, in the country, no state, is engaged in trying to suppress voters based on race. What a number of states are doing, including ours, is that we revisited the issue after some short-term solutions during the pandemic. But none of these states, not Georgia, not Texas, not the one that passed in Kentucky on an overwhelming bipartisan basis and signed by a Democrat governor, none of them are designed to make it harder for people to vote because of their race. Many of them are also designed to make it harder to cheat. What the Democrats want to do is have one nationalized standard that makes it harder to cheat, which has nothing to do with suppressing the vote because of someone's color. Senator McConnell, thank you for your time with us here on this edition of Open Mic. You've been here before. It's Open Mic, and the minority leader has the last word. It's great to be with you again, Jeff. Our thanks to Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan to zero out global sugar subsidies at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Downey. <laughs>